my name is Janet Richardson. I'm Professor of Health Services Research um, at the Plymouth University in the School of um, Health and Human Sciences. And I hold uh, an honorary public health contract with Plymouth um, City Council. And what is a health impact assessment? A health impact assessment is uh, a framework, really, which um, includes a number of tools to assess the potential health impact of um, something like a planning decision, so it could be around um, the build of a major supermarket or um, a housing association, uh, a housing estate. Um, and it's, it's a mechanism for um, looking at the potential health and wellbeing impacts on the community who are likely to be directly affected by the changes. So you, uh, you did one for Totnes in 2011 that looked at the health impacts of particularly around the Transition Streets programme that was running at the time. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that and what its findings were. Yeah. So what we did was we looked at one of the uh, major transition town uh, projects, the Transition Streets um, initiative, and we applied um, a health impact assessment framework, um, but particularly looking at um, sustainability. Um, obviously the focus on the transition streets is around uh, building resilience and looking at sustainability um, beyond peak oil and, and effects of climate change. So we used that framework um, and, and allied that framework to a health impact assessment decision making tool. Um, it was a rapid health impact assessment, mm -hmm. so um, it was, uh, we, we looked at uh, sort of desk-based material um, and we also interviewed um, key informants in the community who would um, potentially give a particular, a different view, um, so they were pur purposefully selected in order to provide um, a range of views um, about the, um, the project. And uh, what we found was that um, on a range of um, health and well-being measures that the initiative itself um, had enormous capacity to increase the um, health and well-being of the people who were participating in that particular project, the Transition Streets Initiative. And um, primarily um, that health and well-being benefit was through that community engagement and uh, engaging with um, immediate neighbours and the health and well-being benefits of, of that um, increasing socialisation and, um, and increasing that capacity to engage with, with the local neighbours who they, uh, the people involved in the project might not have ordinarily engaged with because there was a focus to that engagement. Um, other benefits were um, around exercise, so increasingly the people who were engaged in the project were uh, spending more time outdoors, um, working in their gardens, um, sharing food, uh, cycling, those, those kind of benefits. Um, so the benefits, that the potential health benefits and wellbeing benefits were associated with the people who were engaged in the project. So one of the issues that we raised was the need then to look at people who are not engaged in the project like that um, in the town and how those benefits through engagement can filter out across the town to other people who are perhaps harder to reach groups. Mm. Um, and that's, 
that's one thing that's quite a challenge to do anyway in any kind of project like a transition town project but also a, a health promotion project um, community engagement projects it's really how you uh, kind of have a mechanism for engaging those hard to reach groups who potentially could have much more benefit than mm. the ones who are uh, likely to engage. So, uh, so that so that health impact assessment looked at one aspect of, of the mm. work of transition tent on this. Would it be how, how big a, a piece of work would it be to do a health impact assessment of the impact that, say, transition town Totnes has had since it was since it started? Uh, yeah, I, I think that would be. That would be a really interesting piece of work because um, what you'd be looking at is the not just the impact on the local community, but um, the impact on the infrastructure as well. And uh, you know, health health impact assessments do also look at the impact on uh, you know the development of infrastructure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it could be, it was kind of how long's a piece of string, really. It could be a small scale, large scale, but um, I think so many years on, sort of seven years on mm. for me now, that would be an interesting kind of retrospective. I mean, the thing with the impact assessment framework and the process is that um, often um, the process is done retrospectively. Mm. It's much better, particularly for planning development, if the process can be done prospectively. So what you can do is you can, in, in terms of benefits, because what you can do is you can look at potential mitigating factors. So if you, if you see that the likelihood of changing traffic flow to accommodate a housing estate or a supermarket is going to potentially increase the risk of road traffic accidents, you can mitigate for that. Mm. So it's it's a really good framework to to develop mitigation strategies for developments, but also retrospectively, you can you can look at um, uh, what benefits you might have had from from the mm. uh, the impact of the project as a whole. And so you mentioned that that in the in, in the Tottenham study, you were able to look at the fact that. Uh, social capital was built, people got to know the neighbours, yeah. people got to exercise, people got to do things together as all being health benefits. Mm, mm. So in what I like if you if you if you look across what something a group like Transition Town Tonus does, you could argue pretty much that everything it does is public health. You know, a community being involved in a community energy company, feeling like you mm. have a greater sense of agency of where the future of your community is going. Uh, all of the, but I, it's hard to think of anything that's involved in transition that, that, that yeah. doesn't come to that. Where do you, how do you see that sort of overlap, that merging of the two? I th I think that I think there are overlaps at different levels. Um, so I think um, if you think in terms of public health and the need to address issues around climate change and building resilience. Um, so if you start with with like an end point, which would be a disaster or you know, major flooding, for example, um, that, that you know we've seen recently and we're likely to see more of. Um, you know there are obviously disaster management plans in place. Um, 
those could potentially overlap with the social capital in the town. So if you if you know where the social capital is in the town and the skills, I mean particularly in a town like Totnes with such mm. a range of diverse skills that that uh, that we find is um, there's the potential for, at that point in time, within your emergency, your disaster planning, to know what the social capital in the town is and to bring that into the planning mm-hmm. uh, for, for managing um, uh, emergencies and uh, such as flooding, rescue services, that kind of thing. Um, uh, also, um, the link, as you said, with, with needing to um, look at mitigation and and energy use um, so um, more broadly with the, the health service which is a, you know, a huge consumer of energy um, there's lots of overlap there in terms of how we manage our estates and, and you're aware that the NHS Sustainable Development Unit mm-hmm. is doing some sterling work on, on that and, and focusing on estates management and, and being more energy efficient um, but public health has a huge remit for um, health promotion and primary prevention, and a lot of the um, the work around transition is uh, is capitalising on staying well. Mm. Um, so if we can um, look at the win wins really, um, and and sell the healthcare benefits of. Um, living in a way that is good for the planet, so uh, you know, not eating too much meat. Um, you know, perhaps growing our own vegetables because that gets us outdoors. It could, you mm. know, we're exercising, we're growing healthy, healthy food, um, cycling. All of those things that those behaviours that are good for the planet are also good for um, mm. health and well-being. Um, and the, the challenge is when we talk about hard to reach communities and people who are maybe not engaged, is, uh, which is a real challenge with um, health promotion, is, is that behaviour change. Mm. And of course with, um, with behaviour change, um, it's harder to change behaviour um, for the benefit of something that's going to happen in, in you know, X number of years, mm. and and I suppose you know climate change is a bit like smoking, you know. Um, so the the long obviously the long term benefits of giving up smoking are phenomenal. The short term benefits are good, you know, mm. um, as well. But it's that you know educating and supporting people to change their behaviour mm. mm. in a way that is going to be good ultimately for the planet and for our children, mm. but also will have immediate impacts on health. And, and I think that those are the kind of messages that mm. around transition and, and, and working alongside public health that actually can be quite positive. Mm. When I talked to David Pension, he said there can be no better sector and no better driver to set clear examples of our collective responsibility to the future. How do you see the the, the potential of the health sector to become a really powerful driver in the move towards sustainability? Uh, oh, um, a number of ways. I mean, certainly the, the, the way that... Um, the, the way that we're looking in health at um, mitigating climate change is, is, at the moment, is predominantly around estates management because that's easy to do. You know, it's relatively easy to put solar panels on uh, hospital roofs and, and um, manage waste better. Um, 
so so we can start with the states but we we have to also in a sense change the mindset of of the staff and um that's that's well, that's behavior change as well so it's 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 about understanding what the connection is and one of the things that we've been doing at Plymouth University with um, with the nursing undergraduates is um, embedding sustainability in the curriculum in such a way that makes it tangible um, and relevant to their practice. So, um, and it's what we've done is we've uh, based on some work that we've done in in Cornwall, looking at um, the items used in everyday practice that are potentially vulnerable to supply because they're made from cotton, from oil, um, things like lithium batteries, um, that if those items were, if there was a threat to the supply chain for those items for, you know, for reasons of natural disasters or um, climate change, um, what impact would that have on, on patient care? So the research that we've done, um, we, from that we developed some scenarios and we use those scenarios in our skills sessions with the nurses and we, but we do it, the, the crucial thing is that we do it in such a way that it's not seen as an, an add-on, um, uh, this is a, an optional session on sustainability. So when the nurses come into the skills um, sessions in year two, where they're, um, they're in the skills lab and um, they're going around skills stations, so they might be doing a, a wound dressing or um, blood pressure, one of the stations is sustainability skills. So they come and they sit down and they think, okay, what's this got to do with me? Um, and what we do is we give them a scenario and we use the one around um, plastics. We say, you know, we start by saying, okay, there's this scenario, the price of plastic is increasing, why might this be the case? So we, uh, so the students have to make the connection between plastic and oil. I mean, not, not all of Mm. Our students know what the connection is, so we're starting from uh, you know a, a low knowledge base to mm. some extent mm. with 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 some some students. So once they've made that connection, you know we have um, we have a bag of items that they use constantly every day, syringes, giving sets, you know plastic bags of you know IV fluid that are in plastic. Um, and we have an impact line, so it's a tape measure with a high impact, no impact on patient care. And we, we give one at a time, they look at the objects, they discuss how they use it in practice, and what impact it would have on patient care if they didn't have that object, or if they didn't have the plastic to make the object, could it be made from something else, what did we use to use? Um, so the whole process is around the discussion, and they really start to make the connections. Um, they make the connections with um, with cotton and where it comes from, where it's grown, and how it's vulnerable to changes in climate. And um, so the purpose of the session is is the discussion, um, and then and then they have an exercise where they go through the process of well, where would they dispose of it? Would it go in clinical waste or? Um, domestic waste or some other and again it's getting them to think about how they segregate waste and we've evaluated the sessions and the sessions evaluate extremely well I mean the students really get it they mm. it, it is kind of you know mind changing um, in terms of their thinking about what they use every day in practice and then they they can potentially be champions so they can go and they can question what happens in the in the ward area so so i think i i, I think there's a huge 
need to educate um, uh, health staff about the connection, particularly with what they're using all the time, um, and where it comes from, and what impact that has on the planet. You know, the mining for the lithium batteries, you know, those those kind of things, mm. and how you know ultimately they are going to be in charge of these resources. They're going to be managing wards. They're going to have to make decisions mm. about um, how they use them if there's a short supply, possibly rationing. So, um, so that's a good way to start, and and what they and they then see it as part of their training. Mm. You know, so it's, it's properly embedded. And we've, we've bringing, uh, been bringing design students um, into the sessions because this is, um, you know, we, in health we work as multidisciplinary teams um, and to address issues around climate change and health we need to work as multidisciplinary teams and really broad, broaden those disciplines. So we've been working with design students and they come in and they observe the sessions and they ask you know, completely left field questions about well, why do you need to do it that way, or why do you need to use that, and and they're then coming up with design products that can address mm, some of the fantastic. sustainability issues. So it's that kind of cross fertilization of of knowledge as well. So I guess the last the last question was just, you know you've you've been around the transition here in Totnes from from quite early on and doing this impact assessment. Just whether you had any last thoughts on on on, on here in Totnes. The, the work here and how it overlaps, how you see it maybe in the, in the future, how it could move forward with with a better overlap between transition and public health. Um, yeah, well, I think um, Public Health England are relocating to Fulton House next year. Really? I understand. So there's uh, yeah yeah so the the southwest. Um, so there's huge opportunities there. They'll be they'll be on the doorstep mm. on the patch. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's really um, looking at policy, looking at where uh, the transition town work can fit with public health policy and then engaging the relevant people and, mm. and, and the champions because uh, I think there is huge potential and um, particularly uh, you know, with ageing population and the need to look at loneliness and uh, you know how we support people with long-term conditions. I, mm. I think that that building of social capital and community resilience can can really um, be mobilised to mm. to support some key public health issues.